At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, at odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, perceive God's mission or to resent it. Jonah 3 here, we're, uh, this, we're, we're right in the middle of the story, and uh, if you have been with us over the last few weeks, uh, hopefully you, you know where it goes, but let me just give you a little recap uh, of what happens here in the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, go to this city Nineveh, this really bad, horrible, terrible place, go t- there and tell, call out against them. Tell them judgment's coming, destruction's coming. Jonah freaks out, doesn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh is his enemy. Uh, He wants nothing to do with that. So he decides to go the exact opposite direction to a place called Tarshish. We don't even know where that is, but it's on the other side of the map. Um, Maybe the flat earthers among us will tell us that it's off the map, but it's that way. The exact opposite direction of, uh, of, the, of where Jonah should go. And uh, Jonah gets in a boat heading out that way. Well, God sends a storm on the boat, and everything is chaos. The sailors are trying to figure out what's going on, which God did they offend, what happened, who's responsible, all of that. And, and just to summarize the story, God kind of fi- finally illuminates that it's Jonah. He's the problem in the whole deal. Well, Jonah won't repent. Jonah won't cry out to God. Jonah will have nothing to do with God's call on his life. So he says, hey, just throw me overboard. I'd rather drown in this sea than do what God wants me to do. The sailors hesitant about that, but the storm is not going to relent unless they do. And so they eventually finally throw him overboard where Jonah ends up because of God's grace in the belly of a big fish. God appoints, he sends this great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah is there in that dude for three days and for three nights. And he says nothing until, until finally he just kind of starts to come to his senses and calls out to God. He prays to the Lord from that belly, and he, uh, belly of that fish, and he recognizes that, that God is the gracious one. God is his only hope, and that God is his salvation. I love this part of the story. This is maybe the kid's favorite part of the story as well. Because as Jonah responds to God and issues up a prayer to him, God isn't done with Jonah and he sends the fish. And literally the scripture says that the fish upchucked Jonah. It just barfed him out on the ocean. Uh, Technicolor rainbow there of Jonah coming out onto the beach. I had to get all these words for barfing in uh, this morning. And, um, And there's Jonah on dry land. Now we get to chapter three. What's going to happen here in this story? We're in the first week of the season of Lent. Lent is a series, a series of six uh, Sundays for us leading up to Easter Sunday for us to, to pause and to reflect, to, to take a step and slow down and focus our discipleship on Christ Lent is, is a word that means spring, and, and as we even feel it today, 60-degree temperatures already, we feel the warmth and the life, and we're expectant to hear birds chirping again, not too many, but just a few chirping, very melodious sounds, to see flowers, to get this snow and ice and salt and ick out of our lives, and it's a series and a season of renewal. Lent is to be that series and that season of renewal for us. It's, it's the pursuit of us being renewed by God, being revived by God as a people, as a church. I don't know about you, but I long to see spiritual renewal among us. 
Uh, I long to see after two, relatively uh, speaking, spiritually cold, hard years, I long for God to do some revitalization and some renewal work even among our church family. That, that this would be a true springtime of his grace among us. And, and to get there, I have to ask the question, is there anything essential to that desire for renewal? Is there anything essential to having that renewal or experiencing that renewal or revival that, that we need? Is there anything essential that, that we have to come to grips with? My answer is yes. I think the scripture's answer to that is yes. The, the ingredient that is necessary on our behalf and on our part is the ingredient of repentance. That, that to truly experience renewal and revitalization as a people, individually and as a, as a church corporately, it requires us to come to the Lord with repentance. You may ask the question, well, what is repentance and why is that so necessary for renewal? Can't we just kind of forget the past and just kind of truck on forward with the future and say, hey, let's get on with, with life. What's behind is behind and let's just leave it. Or is, is there something deep about re repentance that is essential for renewal and for growth in our lives? Well, Jonah chapter 3 here addresses this issue of repentance. But it's interesting, the, the focus isn't on Jonah's repentance at all. Jonah actually becomes sort of a background player in chapter 3. The focus is on the people of Nineveh. Really, God's work among the people of Nineveh. But as the people of Nineveh repent to the word of God as it's preached and proclaimed in their lives. I want to show us in chapter 3 here what repentance is and why it is essential for us. Why, to experience renewal, we need repentance today. And I'm going to show us three things here this morning from this passage that will help us understand repentance better and to practice it more clearly in our lives. Well, let's begin here with this first one, in that repentance begins with hearing the word. For, for you and I to, to properly repent to properly come back to the Lord, properly to, to lay down our sins, and to acknowledge them and confess them to the Lord, it means that we first and foremost need to hear from the Lord. Repentance starts with God speaking to us and saying something true to us so that we can, in response to him, redirect our lives. Here's the story and how it goes. Verse 1 of chapter 3. And this verse is almost the same as chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. A second time. Okay, so Jonah's on the beach, wherever he's at. God's got his man. He's ready to deploy him. And he, and he speaks to Jonah again, a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I will tell you. This is 2.0, almost exactly what happened with Jonah at the beginning. Now we get another chance, another opportunity for Jonah to go forward. Jonah receives this divine message from God, and our writer describes it as coming a second time. I love this about God because this book is ultimately about God. This book tells us so much about God and his nature and character and his heart for us. And here God is dealing with this unrepentant, defiant, difficult prophet once again. And what does God do? He shows him grace and mercy. Okay, Jonah, we didn't do so well the first time around. Like you bought a boat ticket that ended you up in a big fish and vomited up on the beach. Let's not do that again. Let's try again. He just kind of resets the whole thing. In fact, you could probably just kind of, if you wanted to, I think it 
distracts from the story totally, but if you were just to read chapter 3 and 4 of Jonah, you would get the story of God's work in the lives of the people of Nineveh. But, but here God comes to Jonah again, and he's gracious and he's merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he says, okay, Jonah, now go a second time. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. There's the message. You're going to go this great city, call out against it. Judgment's coming. Preach against it God's message. God's purposes are still the same. His plans are there, still moving forward. The question is, what's Jonah going to do? We get verse 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Yes, finally, Jonah gets it through his head. He goes. He's going to be obedient according to the word of the Lord. He's listened to the word of God. He's, he's, he's taken it to heart, and he says, okay, I will follow. I will go. I will do what God has called me to do. So now we've got our prophet moving to this great, evil, wicked city with the word of God, a word of judgment, and he's going to proclaim it to them. And now we find out a little bit more about this city, Nineveh. And what's so important about Nineveh here? Well, the second part of verse 3 says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. If you're using the English Standard Version, you'll notice a little footnote next to the word city. The, I don't know why ESV did this. Most of the English translations don't translate it the correct way either, but the footnote here helps us. In Hebrew, the phrase is, Nineveh was a great city to God. A great city to God. Here's the real point of how God sees Nineveh. It's his grace and his mercy. This massive city full of rebellion and violence and defiance against God is considered important to him. It's great to him. This massive city God has in his sights and in his heart. It matters that the prophet goes and proclaims this message. It matters that Nineveh hears it. It matters that they respond. Do you want to know what the things are, who the people are, that are important and great to God? They are the people that God's word is sent to. Think about this for just a moment. Jonah is important to God because his word is sent from God to Jonah. God, God's word comes to Jonah. Nineveh is important to God because he sends his prophet with his word to this city. He sends his word to these pagan rebels. You are important to God. You listening to the word of God right now, whether you're here in this room or you're online watching in this moment, you are hearing from God. He, through his scriptures, is speaking to you. That's important for you to see. Whoever God communicates his word to, he values. He values you today. He's speaking to you. Now, this city here, is, it's important to him. It's expansive. The text here says it is a three-day journey in breath. I take that to be like it takes three days to just kind of get through the important major parts of the city. Like, like you know, if you get a travel guide, hey, if you're going to see the best parts of this city, you've got to spend multiple days. It's going to take you at least three days. It's, it's a big, big city with lots to see, lots to do, lots going on there. So what happens? Jonah goes into the city, verse 4. He goes in a day's journey. He gets in the middle of it. He's been milling around, walking around, and finally he gets, okay, here's my pulpit place. Here's where I'm going to start uh, proclaiming the word of God. I'm going to share the message. And he goes in, and it says he calls out. I can kind of envision Jonah just kind of wandering around with this message. I think it's a summary of his entire sermon to the city of Nineveh. But the essence of the message is this. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Like the clock is ticking, Nineveh. T 
Time is running out. You've got 40 days, and this city is going to be turned upside down. Now, now this, sermon, this sermon, the essence of it is there. Judgment is coming upon you. Things are wrong, but there's grace as well. Notice the proclamation is significant. There's a period of time here, 40 days, God is saying, you need to think about your lives. You need to think about how you're living. You need to think about what you're doing. 40 days, consider it. Repent, turn back to me. And the word overturned here, it's, it's a really important word. The word overturned here in the Hebrew, it could be used in so many different ways. It's a big word. It refers to Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed as cities by God. The word overthrown refers to a curse being turned or changed into a blessing in the Old Testament. The word in Hebrew means a turning of the sea into dry ground in Exodus. The word means turned, changed, transformed. Even the word can be used to refer to spiritual transformation of heart and life. God is making a big statement here. No matter what, in 40 days, this city is not going to be the same that it was. It'll be overthrown in judgment or it'll be overthrown in repentance and renewal. It'll turn back to me. I love how broad and open this message is. God speaks and what he says is going to happen for sure. This city is going to be radically different in 40 days than what it was. For the positive or the negative, Nineveh will undergo a transformation no matter what. Here's where the turn begins for this city. Jonah goes in, he proclaims God's word, and the people of Nineveh get it. Have you ever wondered why on uh, the first Saturday of the month, I think it happened yesterday, at least I heard it here in, in Plymouth, right about 1 p.m., I think it was 12.55 yesterday, you started hearing these sirens blaring all over the place, right? The tornado sirens. It's the emergency warning system that's, that's test, being tested, especially tested so that in the event of a, of a tornado or other significant emergency, it can notify people. These systems are set up to, to make us aware of impending danger and destruction so that we can seek shelter and safety. That's what happens here with the word of God. That's, that's its function here in the city of Nineveh. Every time we hear the word of God as well, we should be reminded to be watchful and careful. Every time the word of God is proclaimed, you're hearing God's voice, and his voice is a means to speak to us about how we walk in this life. Sometimes it's even necessary for the word of God to warn and correct us. Consider what Paul says to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God. Every word of this book is spoken by the living God, breathed out from him. And it is profitable. It's useful for teaching, for reproof. Oh, nobody likes that word there. For correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God is a means to correct us, to shape us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. It's a means to exhort and rebuke us. God's word, when he speaks, he is calling to us. So many of us long today for spiritual refreshment and renewal, and repentance is required to see that happen. However, we cannot go looking for renewal and refreshment apart from placing ourselves under the word of God. To, to experience that renewal, we have to be listening to God's voice because God speaks and he speaks with truth and he speaks with life and he speaks with grace. And so to, to not hear God's voice means we're not probably going to repent. We're not going to experience renewal. When we do encounter the word and it reproves us or corrects us, 
We need to believe it. We need to follow up on it. I'll address those in just a moment. But so many times I'm afraid that we just discard the word. Oh, it's just, okay, that's just some ancient book, some, some old text, some boring stuff that I don't want to understand, I don't want to listen to. Actually, this person over here says something I really like, and I want to affirm that. Let me, let me ask you just about your, your sources of, of spiritual input. Where does authority stand in your life? Uh, is, is authority for you in leading and directing your life, does it come from the internet? Does it come from popular podcasters or YouTubers or, or various authors or celebrities or whoever out there just speaking spiritual things? Is that where your spiritual authority comes from? Or does your spiritual authority come from the word of God? And any spiritual authority, any, anyone who speaks the word of God, if they're speaking accurately and truly, they're speaking under the word of God. I don't stand up here today making up my own ideas and crafting my own knowledge and thought just to say, hey, you need to follow me and do whatever I say, which I hope is liberating for you. I stand here today under the word of God, Lord willing, to say this is what scripture says, and all I have to say is what God says, and so let's listen and follow the Lord. Let's take his voice to heart. That's where repentance starts. But if we, if we give authority to the voices of culture, the voices of the pop celebrity, speakers, artists, whoever it is, and their voice is different or discordant from the word of God, we're not going to be in the place for spiritual revitalization and renewal. When we encounter the word of God and it reproves or corrects us, do we discard his word in favor of something that affirms what we would rather have it affirm? Let me ask you this. Do you... Do you oftentimes go to the Bible and say the same thing Satan said about God's word? Did God really say that? Let me just say it this way. The less proximity to the word of God that you have in your life, the less likely spiritual renewal will happen in your life. It's hard to repent if you're not exposed to the voice of the ones whose words is light and life calling you to repentance. As the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. We need the word of God, his light, his word to illuminate our path so that we walk in the truth. And where the light reveals that we are walking on strange, forbidden, and even destructive paths, we need to repent. We need to cry out to God to say, I'm on the wrong space. I'm believing the wrong truths. I'm believing lies. Repentance begins with hearing the word of God. So brothers and sisters, friends, get in the spaces of being in the word of God. I want to encourage you again, and, and this is preaching to the choir a little bit, but don't neglect showing up week after week after week in the gathering to hear the word of God preached. Let the word of God speak over your life. Don't neglect making this place an important place, a priority for your life, for your family, for who you are. Be in the spaces of life group where the word of God is discussed and brought and cultivated into our hearts. Don't neglect the word of God. Repentance begins with hearing the word of God. But secondly, repentance involves believing the word of God. It's one thing just to hear it, but we, we need to take another step. And this is what happens in the city of Nineveh. Look with me at verse 5. So Jonah goes in. He preaches this message. Forty days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the scripture says in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. I love how, how immediate, how clear, how transparent, how honest that statement is. They believed God. What has God been saying to them? 
40 days, and this whole city is going to be turned upside down. And they're like, whoa, we've got we've to pause and take stock of things. Like, our way of life has not been faithful, true, righteous, good. 40 days, it's all coming down. Destruction is coming our way. And they believed God. They didn't doubt. They didn't go, oh, you know what? We missed something or we don't care. They took to heart what God had said through Jonah and they believed him. Repentance involves believing the word. They came to the realization that they were reckoning with the God of Israel and that their evil deeds made them rebels of his. And he, not just the God of Israel, but the Lord who made the heavens and the earth and everything that it is in them would stand as judge over them. This is what the word of God does in our lives. It reveals sin. The scripture exposes our hearts. The word of God is living and active, able to cut through to the very bone, the marrow, the core of our hearts and exposes who we are, as the writer of Hebrews says. No creature shall be hidden from his sight. The scriptures reveal us. They open up our lives and say, hey, there we are, <laughs> walking in our own ways in our rebellion and our defiance, and God exposes it. The real question of the matter is what are they going to do with that realization? When they hear God's word and God's word says, judgment's coming, you're walking in evil, wicked ways, what do you do with that? How do they respond? They believed God. They heard God's word. They counted it as true and real. They listened to the warning sirens of God's impending judgment, and they believed him. Here's where our enemy constantly does battle with us. He's constantly calling us to question and doubt God's word. Did God really say? That's his first question in the entirety of Scripture. Satan, right out of the gate, attacking God's word. Did God really say that? And Satan's statement of that, it's not a question of curiosity, like, oh, I don't understand. Can you explain this to me? It's a question of doubt and skepticism and denial. But repentance, if it's to be true, if it's to be real, it has not only to do with the hearing, but it has to believe that God's judgments are true. His ways are just. His promises are good. And his grace is great. Friends, where there's a lack of repentance, there's a lack of faith. There's a lack of true faith in the word of God. Here I think the Ninevites, this evil, pagan, wicked city, are an example for us. Because they believed God. Jesus, in fact, said to the Pharisees that the people of Nineveh one day would rise up in condemnation of the people of Jerusalem, of the Pharisees at that moment, the religious leaders, because the Ninevites had heard God's word and they had repented. But these Pharisees had seen God's word in the face of Jesus and they didn't believe. In May of 1980, Mount St. Helens in Washington State erupted with significant and powerful force. 540 million tons of ash were spewed into the air, and 57 people were killed directly as a result. And yet there were signs that that was going to happen. It wasn't just an unexpected, oh, look, the mountain blew up. Months before the eruption, the mountain was giving off significant geological signs, earthquakes, tremors, even steam that an eruption was imminent. While there were some precautions taken, though, the warnings that were issued to expand the danger zone around the mountain were met with disbelief, apathy, neglect, even outright defiance. Later research has discovered that of those 57 deaths, 54 of them could have been prevented had they just expanded the danger zone around the mountain. 
They had listened to the signs. They had heard the warnings and they had believed. And it didn't happen. Friends, the gospel holds out the truth for us and the promise that Jesus is better than anything else in this universe. That he is more satisfying, more excellent, more lovely, more gracious, more glorious than anything this world could offer. Repentance is turning from the lies of this world and the lies of our flesh and even the lies of Satan and believing the good news of Jesus Christ. Lest we think that repentance is something that just happens once when we're initially converted, we need to see that repentance is a continual movement in the life of a Christian. As Martin Luther put it, the whole life of a Christian is to be one of repentance. Or, Or John Calvin in his lectures on Jonah wrote, the faithful ought through their whole life to repent. True growth and spiritual renewal happens when we repent of the lies and believe the good news. The word of God tells us the truth. It forms and defines realities. Our our lives should be lived more and more and more in conformity to the truth of God's word, letting the word of God shape us, form us, mind, heart, body, all of us in everything. Maybe let me put it this way and kind of spin a Tim Keller quote that's pretty popular to help us see this. If you read the scripture, if you think of the Bible and it has nothing to say against you, nothing to correct in your life, nothing that, you would, dis- nothing that would disagree with you, I think you probably have the wrong Bible. Because the word of God corrects, it reproves. And in humility, we need to listen to God's word. And to say, Spirit of God, show me, reveal to me, help me see where I'm off track so that I can experience and know your grace and walk in truth and life and joy. Repentance begins with hearing the word. It involves believing the word. But without the next step, there still can be no spiritual vitality or renewal. The third movement with the word is that repentance requires responding to the word. One thing to hear, even another thing to affirm and go, yes, that's true, I agree with that, but that's not fully formed faith. True faith, true repentance requires action and response. The word repent itself means a turning from one way of life to another, from one direction that we're living to a new direction. Repentance requires actually clearly living in a new relationship towards God. So so what happens here in this story? The people in verse five, they believed God and then it says they called out for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They acted and they said, "We we want to display our belief in God's word. So let's fast, let's show remorse, let's let's." ready ourselves and listen to God and and let's put on sackcloth to show that we are repentant, that we are full of sorrow for our great and many sins. But but the story here in verses six through nine, it kind of takes a focus in. Let's just look at the greatest of all the Ninevites. The king, what does he do? The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. So this is the word of God. It gets to the very king of Nineveh. He, raised, he comes, steps up from his throne, takes off his robe, covers himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. The highest in position over all the city humbles himself, submits himself to the authority of God, shows true remorse and contrition, sits down in ashes, and then he leads I love this. There's these movements. The, the, the king here, he hears the word, he believes the word, and he responds to the word. 
And his response, it's a leadership response. He makes a proclamation to the entire city. Everyone, man, beast, woman, all people, everybody. There's some responsibility here in this. First of all, they are to fast. He says, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. I mean, this is a radical fast. Like, we're shutting off the supply of food so that we can direct our hearts to God. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. So the first thing they do is fast. They show this sincere display of genuine repentance. They cease from eating to plead with God for his mercy. Secondly, they pray. They call out mightily to God. This isn't some sort of half-hearted, dear God, don't strike me down kind of prayer. This is robust. This is full-bodied. This is God, have merciful to, be merciful to us. We are sinners. They call out mightily to the Lord. The king says, do it this way. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Cry out and pray and seek his mercy. And then thirdly, he directs the city to turn. Let everyone turn from his evil ways. Let's lay down our violence. Turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. The externals of fasting and prayer are good, but there also needs to be an amending of the way. Walking in what is right. Doing what is just, faithful, good, and true. Let's turn to God. Let's seek his face. There's a hope. Verse 9, he says this. Who knows? This king here doesn't know God the way that Jonah should. But he's got a hope. If we repent, if we turn to the Lord, if we cease our violence, who knows, God may turn. He may may hold back his hand from destroying us. He may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Do you hear the word there, turn, a lot? It's, It's embedded in this text to get us to think about repentance. It's turning our lives from one direction to another, from walking in the ways of death into the ways of life. And so his hope is in God. Maybe God will repent. Maybe God will turn. He will relent from his fierce anger. I don't know if this is the case, but this king may have heard other scriptures, one like Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8. It says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster I intended to do with it. I mean, this is right in line with God's, God's character, his ways, who he is. Repentance requires responding to the word of God. Friends, we can't just hear the Bible or affirm it alone and say, yeah, it's true. We must act in humility and in contrition in walking in a new way of life. And here's the good news. Here's the good news of what, what this means for us. Verse 10, God responds to Repentance. Where there is true repentance because we've heard the word and we believe God's word is true and we act on it, God responds. When God saw what they did, he saw their fasting, he saw their prayer, but he saw how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. 40 days come and go. God sees the way that they have responded to the word. He is patient. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, abounding in faithfulness. And he just, he sees Nineveh say, whoa, let's take a step back. 
Let's respond in repentance to God. Let's believe his word. Let's act. Let's lay down our violence. And God sees it, and he's like, good. He's already overturned the city. They're already, already changed people. They're already turned from his evil way. The disaster that he had threatened, he didn't have to do because the city was already overturned. The mercy and kindness of God shows his character once again. He leaves the door open constantly for our own repentance and coming back to him. Renewal and refreshment stand before us as long as there is breath in our lungs. God responds to repentance. Nineveh's response is a template for us as well in responding to God. Because we're just as guilty, we're just as culpable, we're just as subject to God's righteous judgment and wrath ourselves. And God has sent a prophet greater than Jonah for us. He sent one who, instead of just saying the words of God, he is the very word of God. Jesus. He's given himself and stands for us as an advocate before the throne of God himself. He stands pleading and interceding on our behalf. And Jesus stands as one who took the full fury of the wrath of God for us on the cross. As our prophet, as our great high priest, as our king, Jesus calls us based on his work on the cross, and he says, believe my word. Trust me, trust me alone. Repent of your sin and walk in newness of life. And Jesus brings the promise that everyone who repents and believes his good news will not perish, but have eternal life. They'll never taste the full fury of the wrath of God because Jesus already did it on our behalf when he hung on the cross for us. He has reconciled us to God in his blood. God's fierce anger has turned away from us so that we will not perish. Friends, will you repent? Maybe you haven't repented to begin with of your life. You haven't seen what Christ has done for you. You haven't trusted his grace and mercy. Today, repent of your sins and believe the gospel that Christ is the king. He is the one who loves you and gave himself for you. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Repent. And if you're a follower of Jesus already, repent as well. Our lives should be continual repentance, continual humility, continual response in faith to the word of God and his grace. Let's constantly come to the cross and never leave its feet. Because there Jesus died for us. Because he loves us. There Jesus shows us he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's through his body and his blood that we are reconciled to God. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.